You know, I've been around for a while. Met some interesting people. Done some crazy things. So you just might think that there's not much that can take me by surprise. You'd be wrong. The world is full of stories. Science and things that amaze and confound me. Every single day, incredible mysteries that keep me awake at night. Some I can answer. Others just defy logic. Are we all in a continual cycle of birth and rebirth, simply interchanging bodies as we go? And if so, this raises yet another question. Do we get to choose? I mean, who was I before I was who I am now? And who will I be next? Could I be you? Now that is definitely weird yeah it's a weird world and i love it abs in a six pack abs in a six pack hello abs in a six pack abs in a six pack is not the greatest podcast in the world i know abs in a six pack is a bad show but what else do you have going on it's October 12, 2023 for Abs in a Six Pack, episode 213. I'm here live with the host of my personal favorite podcast, OBDM. It's Midnight Mike, and we're talking the afterlife, aliens, demons, consciousness, cosmic beings, and more. And this is a new live son of a bitch. This is a new live son of a bitch. Does Sir Seatsitter have a show that I, that I should know about? Sir Seatsitter from the ABS in a Six Pack podcast. ABS in a Six Pack. ABS in a Six Pack. Shitmyass.com. 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 Did you say shitmyass.com? Shitmyass.com. If you're not listening to Abs in a Six Pack, you're ruining your own life. This is true. How's it going, Mike? I'm doing well. Hey, sorry, I, I just got your note like uh, <laughs> two minutes before I hopped on here. It's okay. And I, was... uh, I, I I joined as quickly as I could. No, it's all good. I was I was stalling. I was playing some music, some uh, value enabled music from Ellen Beats, and it was actually brought to my attention by Booberry, that uh, who actually is a producer on this episode because he's helping me restream to the No Agenda stream because I don't know why I can't connect to the No Agenda stream. Doesn't matter. So appreciate Booberry, but he also uh, pointed me out or pointed out to me that you are of the top 100 most boosted songs. Uh, 1.3 has two songs that are at the sixth and ninth most boosted. Wow, that's in uh, that's incredible. I yes. mean, so you're in you're I mean, on the uh, 15 years after the album came out, <laughs> now I'm popular. <laughs> uh, it's it's some good stuff too. It's uh. A dagger hammer, also. Holy shit! Oh, that yeah, that's from my my Viking metal band. Yeah, I appreciate uh, Booberry and all his podcasts. You know, Wizardry, uh, 2.0 Wizardry, uh, doing music and and DJing and uh, really figuring out all the the technicals, ins and outs. I just don't have the time. I want to learn how to do all that stuff. I'm just too busy fighting the new world order in order to do that stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am in the process of trying to figure it out. It's it, it it's reminding me of my old HTML and when I took two semesters of Flash, it's it's in the process of becoming more accessible to people, but it's still in the beta stages, I guess you could say. So over time, I think it's going to be something that anybody that knows how to drag and drop files around is going to be able to do. But uh, 
I'm I'm in the I'm in the process of figuring it out. I, um, so here's a here's a th- with, with the like fans that that listen to No Agenda, people that listen to No Agenda and and Apple and Six Pack and uh, Behind the Schemes and OBDM, uh, they really should know how to program Python, understand JSON and XML and RSS feeds. It is the knowledge you're going to need to know. Uh, currently and for the next five to ten years if you want to get your show out there to an audience. It's just these are technical skills that Mm -hmm. will only benefit you in the long run. Yeah. 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 I I have to say, and I was talking to Sir Spencer of Bull After Bull with this, about this, uh, behind the schemes is at the very cutting edge of all these new 2.0 features, and I don't think there's a close second. Uh, yeah, they're too cutting edge. Um, <laughs> it's almost like it's, their, their, their show is a proof of concept. It's, it's really good. It's really entertaining. When uh, Pitar comes in and slaughters 20 goats in a row, and they play the kazoo music for all the boostograms coming in and hearing goats get killed in different ways, all that stuff is really cool. It's, I'm still trying to figure out how to put chapter art in my, in my thing and do value splits. But uh, once I get there, I'll, may, I'll, maybe, uh, I'll maybe give it a shot. It, it, yeah, it reminds me of like when uh, like the best guitar player in the world, like at one point in time, Ingve Malmsteen, uh, and he could play every scale, every every key in one song. It's like, wow, that's amazing. This guy knows everything about that particular scale for that song, and is just mind blowing. So I, I guess if you like Ingve Malmsteen, it's up your alley. <laughs> I don't know who that is. But, well, uh, you, you can listen to him after the show. Ingvay, I don't even know how to spell that, so I don't know how I'm gonna. I don't know how I'll even find that. But I, I don't know who. Remind me. Send me a message. Okay. Send me a note. <laughs> well, let's get on with the show. I'll, I'll stop pontificating. Well, I watched three different Shatner documentaries about life and death, so I figured we could start with some Shatner. I love. I love William Shatner. He's he's the man. He's no matter what weird topic there is, and you're. Your show is uh, also picked up on this, obviously. Whatever weird topic it is, you can bet William Shatner has talked about it. In, and uh, he's into it. He loves it. So this is Shatner on a near-death experience that involves some kind of soul connection. Pause at any time. Richmond, Virginia, September 5th, 2005. David Schwartz goes to the hospital to be treated for what he believes is a nagging ear infection. But in fact, his illness is much, much worse. I checked myself into the emergency room. That was Monday afternoon, and by Tuesday afternoon, I was in a coma. My kidneys were shut down, all of my organs were failing, and the blood flow was lost to my brainstem as well, which would have meant brain death. They told my mom and my dad that really that I had a limited amount of time left. With their son facing certain death due to kidney failure, David's parents were willing to try anything that might help him. So they reached out to Scarlett Heinbach, a woman who, after having a near-death experience in childhood, claimed to be gifted with incredible healing powers. When I walked in David's hospital room for the first time, I knew he was near death. He was unconscious, and I took his hand, and I was standing right by his bedside when all of a sudden I was out of my body in another realm. He was hovering there, and there was the soul connection, and I felt him with every fiber of my being, and he made a decision at that 
point to come back. Yeah. When I first awoke and saw Scarlet, I had the sense that I knew who she was and I knew everything about her. David looked up at me and all of a sudden, the next thing I was aware of was that I was seeing four beings. They were tall and they were colored blue. I saw them manifesting a set of kidneys, if you will. I saw the kidneys being dropped into his body. David's recovery after that was so stunning that the doctors and nurses at this hospital called a miracle boy. When I came out of the coma, it was absolutely because we had an experience. I don't know what happened there, but I do know that it happened because the doctors told me that they didn't have an explanation as to why I was making the recovery that I was making. Today, David Schwartz has two fully functioning kidneys, and both he and Scarlett Heinbuck have no doubt in their minds that it was the powerful connection between their souls that saved David's life. I'm the man! What do you, th- what do you think of that? What, what, the reason I pulled that clip that caught my eye was the, the entities standing around the bed. But um, I... I... I've heard of similar, not exactly that, but I've heard of, of similar accounts of almost like uh, spontaneous uh, healing cures, uh, not necessarily like organ regeneration in some fashion. Uh, I am definitely open to this kind of uh, phenomenon and events. Um, this is like far, like what you just played right there is far beyond just a typical near-death experience where people experience uh, a ton of light, seeing loved mm-hmm. ones, and maybe a message of love. This is this is something tangible that uh, is is uh, helping somebody <laughs> in in quickly after their near death experience. Yeah, and in the video, it's the reenactment. It shows four kind of translucent, ethereal, tall, skinny, blue beings that are telepathically lowering a pair of glowing blue transparent kidneys into his body. And I don't remember them saying the kidneys were blue in the video. Maybe they did. But I just thought that was strange. Uh, Like, if they dissect him, are his kidneys going to be blue and glowing then? Were they, like, the soul of his? Like, does each or... Fuck. Ah! Does each... Yeah. Does each organ (laughs) of of, uh, the human body have its own soul? Like, is there a stomach soul? Is there a spleen soul? Is there a penis some of, soul? Some of the things that I've read um, is not necessarily your organs have uh, its own soul, but they might have their own memories. And those memories are transferable to specifically like uh, for uh, organ uh, donors. So if somebody dies in a car wreck and uh, you happen to get hit that person's heart, you might get some of those memories and emotions associated with those memories um, there's there's anecdotal stories about that kind of stuff, um, so I uh, I think that there's something to this. Now uh, the soul is a whole different matter. Soul, spirit. Uh, I mean, we're just now starting. This is like a bigger question about the nature of uh, this reality that we're living in. Well, now I'm just thinking if I became an organ donor, which I'm not, because Alex Jones said never be sign the organ donor card. But if I did, yeah. and they and I died in a car crash, but they were able to salvage my penis, and it was gifted to somebody that was in need of a penis, and my penis was transplanted Then Would they get all my memories of the weird stuff I was doing in college? Yeah, probably. Yes. Uh, 
They, people get a lot of bad memories from me. <laughs> you know? I would have, I would imagine, but probably some good, uh, some good experiences there. Um, I, I would, just, I would, I would think that the the heart, um, is like the, the epicenter for most memories. Your your penis is is more probably associated with pleasure memories. You know, mm. not necessarily emotional memories, but pleasure memories. Your heart. Um, just collectively, we think of like, oh, you got a big heart. Yeah, you get your heart is open. It's associated with like the full human emotional experience. Your penis is very specific in, in regards to the human experience. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I I had a quick before I move on. I had to, you covered. I think it was a nurse on OBDM who was either Area 51 or I want to say maybe Roswell, who claimed to have talked to an alien who told her that we... Or maybe I'm conflating two stories. No, you you got it. Okay, yeah. She said something along the lines of the alien told her that we are in some kind of soul prison, almost like an agnostic, uh, like what, what we know about the Gnostics from the Roman Catholics, kind of like there's a demiurge or something that's trapped our souls here. Philip K. Dick style yeah. stuff. Could you yeah, explain I'll, that? I'll recount the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I went over it briefly. It, it is an audio book, supposedly, uh, supposedly, supposedly written by a nurse who was at the 1947 Roswell alien crash. She wrote a series of letters, sent them to a friend who she could trust and say, hey, after... If I if something happens to me or uh, when I die, please release these so the the world can um, understand what happened there. So she was the nurse on scene at the crash. There were a couple of bodies, alien entities that uh, that died in the crash. There was one surviving alien entity, uh, and this alien really only wanted to communicate with this nurse. Uh, who was looking after the alien because the alien sensed no ill will towards its its well-being. It, it sensed that the nurse really wanted to help it uh, survive, get healthy, and sensed that uh, there was no ill intention. All the other military staff around, uh, this alien sensed that uh, uh, they wanted uh, secrets. They wanted knowledge. They wanted uh, all the all the technological gizmos from the crashed alien vehicle in order to weaponize it. So this alien only communicated with his nurse. And essentially after about a day or two of trying to figure out common ground for language and symbols, the alien essentially said that its body, its own body, that little gray large eye body that everyone stereotypically kind of associates with aliens is just a container. It is a biological construction. And then when they need to use that biological container, they will put their spirit and soul into that biological container in order for them to operate in this reality and their, uh, their reality. Uh, They're able to come and go from that body as they wish. They didn't seem like they were uh, too afraid to die because when that body dies, they'll just basically go back to, I guess, uh, the mothership, and then they can procure another body. But the alien conveyed to this nurse that, hey, you're down here on this planet. This This planet here, Earth, is in a quadrant of space 
that has been essentially quarantined by the rest of the galaxy in the universe during a, a very large galactic war. Um, since the war uh, was won by, quote-unquote, the good people, it's still quarantined over here. Uh, they haven't been able to uh, really get in here and figure out who's good and who's bad. But this quadrant that the Earth occupies is part of uh, a prison, uh, I guess you could say. And that the the bad spirits that uh, that were uh part of that old kind of this is where it, this is where it gets very kind of scientology science fiction Zenu, yeah um like all the souls here on earth are basically that of artists rebels uh psychopaths uh rabble rousers people and personalities that 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 did not gel very well with that galactic federation um, they were all put here and condemned to be in this life cycle. So once you die, your soul goes up, you come back down, and your your soul is not able to leave this quadrant and to go make merry throughout the rest of the universe and cause mischief and have fun. Now, the alien did say that, well, we, we're aware of the situation down here. Yeah, we won the war, uh, but Earth and this quadrant is not a top priority for us to... Uh, release your souls. There's old technology in place that is enabling basically this grid system to uh, keep you guys confined here. Uh, once we find the technology that uh, is keeping you guys locked here, we'll destroy it. And then when you die, you will be able to move on. And you'll be able to remember past lives. You'll be able to come to and fro all different kind of containers or bodies and retain your memories. Um and this is a very start startling to the nurse and uh, didn't really know what to make of it. The alien also conveyed that uh, they like the alien comes from a race that is billions of years old and that the universe is far older than 13 billion years old and that its soul and spirit has been recycled so many times that it doesn't even know how many years. 50 billion years? Is it 100 billion years? It really doesn't know. Um, and Ooh. it just seemed like what was going on right then and there while that alien was laying on the gurney in that hospital bed seemed fairly inconsequ- inconsequential to its ultimate purpose, which was uh, just to monitor the Earth and... Uh, make sure that nothing gets too out of control. But it didn't seem like it really wanted to get involved with whatever kind of geopolitical strategies the, the U.S. military was trying to come up with with the crashed retrieval vehicles. So it's... That shit's fascinating to me. And it, it's, it's crazy. Com- it's completely anecdotal on my part, This, but I won't, I won't go into this story because I've told it at least three times over the couple years on this podcast, but... Uh, my first like big my, my only real true ego death experience where I died and went out of cut went into cosmic consciousness or god consciousness or whatever which could be totally in my head I'm not gonna say I have proof for it or anything it was very noticeable that I could see zoom out and see the whole earth and incarnate as a tree or a leaf on a tree or an insect or an animal or any person throughout time on earth but there was no getting past the barrier of just outside of earth so <laughs> it lends some kind of anecdotal credence to the uh the prison planet idea 
Well, the uh, the alien also did state to the nurse that uh, there are ways for us to break free um, on our own, to get out of this prison planet, to uh, soul, soul recycling system on our own. And occasionally throughout time, um, there are certain enlightened individuals that will uh, speak about what needs to be done. And they get very close to spreading that message, you know, like Buddha and certain uh, uh, Taoists and Taoism. Uh, it comes very close. I think uh, some of these individuals uh, uh, come very close to spreading the message to allowing enlightenment across the board to allow all humans to leave this prison planet. But they die, they're taken out, they're, they're assassinated because there still is a struggle going on down here. Some of the old guard uh, still like uh, remains down here and they have a desire to kind of keep the strategy of tension and death and repeat because they uh, enjoy down here. Just because, I guess, according to that Roswell alien, just just because they maybe have won the, the battle and the war up there doesn't mean there's not like an insurgency down here of the old guard trying to keep the old system in place. Did you know we're living in the Matrix? Yeah. I... It's, it certainly feels that way. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a kid on ketamine at a hospital. He comes out and he goes, did you know that? Uh, it, it feels that way. I, it really does. And uh, yeah, the binary code. So e- even when you're just dehydrated and losing consciousness and seeing stars, you kind of get the uh, the ones and zeros look at sometimes. I don't know. Maybe that's just LSD I got, flashbacks. I got really, I, uh, I got, I like, I remember 2003, 2004, I got uh, super high on weed. And I was uh, like sitting in a movie theater with my friends. And I remember staring at the the wall before the movie came on and it just turned to this this like uh grid system like i could i could mm-hmm. literally yep. see a grid for uh, a few seconds um i don't do well on uh, on weed I, I stopped smoking it because it just affects me in a very severe way i get uh, super paranoid super introspective it probably affects me uh, way harder as a hol- as a hallucinogen than other people. Other people just oh, no, they smoke weed, they relax. Not me. Shot. I'm going on a trip. I look like I'm doped out of my gourd. Yeah, yeah. people know when I'm smoking. <laughs> I do look doped out of my gourd, and that's why I don't do it. Yeah, I uh, the, as far as the grid thing, I saw. Yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. And uh, Charlie Robinson told a great story of his DMT experience on Behind the Schemes. Yeah, about- he was doped up too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm talking to myself. That's a side effect of the marijuana poisoning. The grid thing is definitely an aspect of it. Uh, whatever that is, I don't know. But uh, like an orangish-red, I guess, I don't know. It looks 4D. It's kind of, it's a lot of this stuff is so hard to explain. Explain. God, that one got me. Uh, uh, I have So, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. If you had another clip here, I was going to say, I've been listening to uh, this audiobook. That was recommended to uh, a Patreon supporter of mine. The, the audiobook is called Journey of Souls. It's an audiobook. Uh, you, got, you just listen to it on, on YouTube. And it is this doctor who is doing uh, hypnotic regression on his patients that have had near-death experiences. And he's, he's going through their experiences and, and taking them to the point back far enough 
in their near-death experience to where they can really recall them leaving their body, their journey to, quote-unquote, the other side, the tunnel of light, all that kind of stuff, and what what they really feel when they die. Uh, and a lot of the experiences thus far have been fairly similar. Um, it seems as though there is some sort of life or consciousness after this uh, this physical life is over and you're able to travel on and it seems like there's like an instant switch on of some knowledge like you remember like old lives you see old loved ones and then you're presented with this sort of scenario uh, I, I I interviewed uh, well I didn't interview but we did uh, a near-death experience episode on Union of the Unwanted and uh, we had this guy on that was recounting his near-death experience. His name is Peter Panagore. Uh, cool I tried name. to pull the clip. I tried to pull the clip, but it's 15 minutes long of him telling his story of what he experienced when he was dying while he was hanging from the side of a cliff in the middle of a blizzard and freezing to death. And it's 15 minutes. It's, it's like, it's crazy. I pulled it. We can maybe skip around a little bit if you want to listen to it. It's up to you. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah we, uh, I'm down to do it. And whatever we don't get through, we can put at the end of the show, maybe. And also, I'd just like to link to that whole episode in the show notes for this one, too. So people sure. can just check that whole out. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, hit me with whatever you got. And then I got some uh, some clips after after that. All I got right, all I'll, kinds I'll of pl- stuff. I'll, pl- I'll play a little bit of this so you can hear his voice. Um, I just listened to it again today just so I could refresh my memory with what I heard. Uh, but here, here's a little bit of this, and I'll stop it and kind of paraphrase it. Sometime before dawn, I realized that I was not going to survive. I had a climbing partner, and he was in the same situation I was. And we were about 150 feet up from the bottom of the climb, and the rope was stuck. And I realized that I was going to die there, and there was nothing that I could do about it. And so I had been not in a panic, but I had been um, emotionally stressed to an extreme all night while I kept my head level in order to uh, drive myself forward for survival. And when I reached the place in my hypothermia with the rope stuck that I opened my coat and because I was hot, I knew that this was a bad thing, but I did it anyway. And a, a peacefulness came over me. And I was suddenly not afraid of dying. And I began to fall asleep. And I would fall asleep. And I'd, I, I was harnessed into the mountain. I would crash against the mountain and stand back up again because I was on a ledge. And this last time I stood up, uh, I, I went through per, my peripheral vision became like a spotlight on a stage that went from a wide space very quickly to a narrowing down of my my vision into a a pinpoint and then it went black and when it went black i expected to fall asleep but i didn't i i my consciousness remained awake and i didn't feel myself fall and i couldn't understand what was going on and the mountain in front of me vanished and my vision expanded and I saw a, a, a vast eternal darkness that stretched into infinity. And far in the distance was a pinprick of light, far, far, far in the distance. 
eons of distance away from me. And it, 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 it illuminated instantaneously and it rushed toward me faster than the speed of light. And it filled my vision as it came to me and it communicated to me telepathically, I'm taking you. And I resisted. I was like, no, you're not taking me. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm staying here. Uh, I'll pause it there. So I'll paraphrase the, the rest of his story. So essentially he uh, left his body and went to the other side. On the other side, he was in communication uh, with some sort of other consciousness. Uh, he called God or wh whoever is the the admin over there, the administrator. And uh, essentially Peter said, uh, listen, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to move on. Uh, my mother is back there. And if I die, it, it is going to crush her. She already lost one child. If I die, it is going to devastate her. So I would really like to go back. And so uh, the uh, God or the administrator said, okay, uh, you can go back. And then he was instantly presented with a view kind of like looking down on earth, although he was kind of up in the ether. So he wasn't like a, a, a super clear view of the earth, but he, he could see it and he could see everything on earth. He could see all seven to eight billion people. He could see everything that everyone was doing all at once, yeah. whether or not they were working, having sex, doing drugs. He could, he could absorb and see everything all at once. And then he in front of him saw essentially what looked like a fiber optic cable kind of thing, where in the center of this cable was the the light of everything, the light of God, consciousness, the universe, that was in the center. Uh, and then around the, on the outside of that were different life choices. One life choice for him to go back as was like a lawyer, a scientist, a politician, an artist, and so he's like, I, I want to go back uh, as an artist. I want to write books. I want to be creative. So he chose that life path for himself. He then instantly got slammed back in his body. He was still on the side of the cliff, and he survived his his his, his uh, hypothermia, and he managed to get out of there. And now he writes books about uh, his uh, near-death experience and spiritualism and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so he was presented with like a matrix kind of like choice, uh, hmm. uh, maybe a parallel timeline or alternate different timelines. But he was like, I'm going to go back as a, as an artist and do that. And that's what he did. That's powerful. I like that. If it, if I had the choice, if, if I was talking to God or the administrator, as you called it, and uh, I needed a reason to come back, I'd be like, let me go back down so I can just one more time so I can go to the 7-Eleven and get a snack. Yo, I'm going to score me a bag of Doritos. Just one last time, then I'm ready to go. Yeah, just need one more mini bag of Doritos, maybe some Funyuns also, please. Thank you. Uh, some, I, some of those, uh, some of those experiences, uh, there's a lot of uh, commonalities with some of the near-death experiences. Big time. Yeah. Hey, I said, ah, hey, I didn't say it. Gix, you need to fix your shit. I got shocked for no reason. By the way, Gix, shout out. Paint that shot color. It's, it's, yeah, you got, you're being of my existence. I, 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 love I, I need that for my dog. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. So last at last show I had, I probably should have started the show with this in hindsight because it would be a good tie in bridge from the last show. But last show I had Larry and uh, Larry Blydner and I had Carl on from Who Are These Podcasts and we spent two hours just making fun of Burt Kreischer. So I figured uh, 
and I'll just skip this first clip and paraphrase what Bert thinks, but this is Bert on Joe Rogan, and in the first clip, Bert is describing, which he seems to genuinely believe, unless it's a bit, but I don't think Bert's funny enough for this to be a bit. Bert believes that he won't die and that people don't actually die. They only die in your... Other people die in your mind, but nobody actually dies, is what he believes. You following that? Yeah, it's quantum um, immortality. He was talking about this, and he was talking about, um, on the last podcast we did, he was talking about these studies that are doing, they're doing out of a university in England, where they're doing a slow drip DMT um, experience with these people. And because they're doing it for hours and hours, they do a slow drip where they're con- they keep them in this state, Whoa. which is normally a very transient state. Well, because you hit it. With a fucking pipe. Yeah. Normally. Yeah, yeah, normally. So there's no regulating how much you get. Right. So this, because it's an IV, because it's coming in a drip, it's like constant and continuous. And these people are going to the same place and they're having repeatable experiences. So instead of having like a 15-minute DMT trip, which a lot of people have that's like overwhelming, you can't even figure out what's going on, then it's over. Instead of that, you're going to the exact same place over and over and over again and getting more and more comfortable with it and coming back with very similar stories. Really? So, yeah, it's a repeatable environment where they're encountering entities and they're trying to map it. So these people are doing these long-term studies with long-term experiments, meaning like not a 15-minute term, but like a, not a 15-minute trip, but multiple hours at a time. And they're coming back with like a map of the territory. So the the this is the concept. The theory that many people have is that death opens up a chemical gateway in the mind, and that chemical gateway takes whatever the soul is. What- I Sorry to pause it here, but uh, once again, completely anecdotal because it's just my personal experience, but the mapping of the territory is something that I attempted to do for a long time, mostly with just huge, bigger and bigger doses of mushrooms every couple months in silent darkness, and I came in contact with these same exact entities over the course of years. Uh, now that's anecdotal, but I imagine if you have a uh, big, uh, big labs, big guys in lab coats and some kind of study and budget and funding, and you can do a slow drip DMT released into the system that they can get pretty close to actually mapping this stuff out. And that's just what we know about that they're doing. Yeah. If you got lab coats and maybe a couple notebooks, you probably can get some good work done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Opens up a chemical gateway in the mind And that chemical gateway takes whatever the soul is, whatever consciousness is, and transports it into this new realm. It allows you, your conscious mind, to access this new realm, which is available to you upon death. And so a lot of the ancient cultures that did ayahuasca and and mushrooms, they would talk about this realm as being like a well of souls, that you encounter disembodied life forms, disembodied spirits. And this has been, uh, it's been a staple of so many religions. Now, I guess I I should have set that up better because the the main focus, which I, for some reason, skipped the first clip, was Bert basically saying that he doesn't believe anybody dies. And that's how they got onto this. Um, Now, I don't know about you, but I think... I've seen. Have you seen a dead body, Mike? I've seen a dead body. They seem yeah, pretty dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that. Uh, so I'm not sure how Bert Chrysler phrased it, but in your reality, I guess you won't die until the very end. 
He never you know, even uh, explained any of it. It was just, he just says, "I don't think you die." Uh, you you like I, I, in in the <laughs> like I think in the quantum immortality uh, thought process. Anyone called a theory? I think it's just a, a thought process. Mm-hmm. Is that in your quantum reality? You've made decisions. Some decisions have led to your death, but that w- that's a different like uh, universe. You have collapsed into the one that you're currently living, and you will continue to collapse and make bad decisions, but ultimately you will be a- alive in this one until your ultimate de- demise, until all other branches have been exhausted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. So you may you may have died in somebody else's uh, branch where you have uh, uh, have crossroads with them, but in yours you're pretty good. So hey, well, out there, you put pos- it like that, yeah. Because I think there's two times in my life where I probably did die and then shot into a different multiverse. Uh, I yeah. think yeah, I think there there's probably uh, I came pretty close to uh, death. I think a couple times. There's a, some there's certain like a car wreck. Yep, that's um, the one I was thinking of. Uh, where and then there's another one where I hit my head. Like I, I don't know how I didn't just totally. I fell off this like these stairs, and there was this, like this concrete down there, and somehow I avoided like really, really damaging my head. Um, and then one time when I was uh, horribly sick as a teenager, um, uh, and like I, I like I had pneumonia, and um, like I had it was so dehydrated. <laughs> And uh, I fell Sorry. down the stairs, and I probably could have died there. But uh, in somebody else's reality, uh, somebody else's uh, quantum reality, I, I may have died already. Yeah. Yeah, once you get into the multiverse and quantum realities and branches in the tree of the timeline, it gets very convoluted. But I, I'm with you because there was a car wreck where it's the only car wreck I've ever been in. I hadn't slept all night, and I was dead sober, but I was taking care of I got roped into taking care of 12 newborn puppies and we lost one of them. So I spent up and they weren't ours. And so I was spent all night and into the morning trying to find this thing. Finally got it. I had to drive three hours back home on the 4th of July, fell asleep with the cruise control on going 85 miles an hour and uh, woke up in the woods. And I, the path of the car when looking back on it, went those highway interstate signs the car went right in between the two metal poles, just inches on either side. Just a couple second difference, and I would have gone full speed into the side of an overpass. And I just took out a bunch of trees, woke up without a scratch on me. The car was totaled and sideways. Yeah, there's uh, people out there that uh, like uh, Cliff High, who uh, developed the the web bot and uh, develops uh, predictions around uh, people languages on, online. He, I don't think he believes in multiple timelines or alternate timelines or the quantum multiverse. He only believes in potentiality. And uh, he has his, his own view on it. Uh, I'm open to it, but um, I, I think like, and I'm not super well versed on this. stuff. like my specialty when it comes to these topics is UFOs and aliens. My wife, on the other hand, is much more deep into like the nature of this reality um and we have uh these pretty in-depth conversations like we trade information you know mm-hmm. like in the morning we have coffee with each other and for about an hour out an hour and a half we have all these these deep conversations and she's like oh you got to check out this person you got to listen to this and then and i was like oh check out this ufo story i came across and 
my uh one of my uh, I, I have gotten my astrology read uh, a few times over the past uh, few years and in, in my I guess my astrologer if you want to say that but she's the person that I've gone to um, she has a very particular outlook on this reality and it is kind of like this um, that we live in this constructed kind of holographic uh, matrix. She would she would use the term we live like in this this matrix simulation. Did you know we're living in the matrix? I did, and I was told that by an astrologer. <laughs> uh, she believes that uh, we live in this matrix, and it is very much like the TV show or uh, the book. Uh, the TV show is called His Dark Materials. Have you ever seen that? It was on HBO. No, no I do love okay. HBO, though. Uh, I think it's... Uh, so that is based on the book series. Let me, let me see. the uh, I was, His Dark Material dark material books. It's, it's a banned book. It, it's a banned book in many countries. Um, it is based upon the trilogy of fantasy novels by Philip Pullman. And so it has uh, like the, the the golden compass is uh, it's a a series of books. Um, and anyways, in his dark material, in that in the main universe that he's talking about in that book, there are people, and each person has a demon, and that demon takes the form of what you require out of that universe. Some people have their demon is like a ferret. Sometimes their demon is uh, an ant or a spider, something like that. But there is an overarching theology and a religious nature to the show. And um, you can access in that show, you can access different versions of the universe by using dark matter uh, and and the, the scientists in that show are able to gain access to these different dimensions by sacrificing kids. So they wind up uh, kidnapping kids and sacrificing them in order to gain access to these different dimensions. And one of those dimensions is our dimension, like our dimension where no one here has a, a demon familiar has or has like uh, some kind of spirit animal you travel with. Um, so they try to gain access to this dimension where we have different sorts of technology. And there is across this entire multiverse in his dark material, there is this battle between us peons down here and the administrator or the God who is running this reality. And the God who we are taught who runs things is not the real God. That God was supplanted by an archangel. You could call it like Beelzebub or Satan. Mm. It, uh, the God that we love and created and made all this. Well, he was, he was taken out and he was supplanted and it is now being run by a, a much more aggressive and not a very friendly administrator. And so there's a, a big revolt that is going on throughout the this storyline in his dark I'm going to have to watch this. I recommend good. you because there's there there are different themes throughout this. And when you when you talk about like the nature of this reality, well there are people in this reality that believe that they can contact 
um, the other side by channeling, maybe even sacrifice in order to gain knowledge or through DMT trips. Uh, they mm-hmm. believe they can, they can get secret access to this knowledge that they can then bring back to enrich themselves in this life. Uh, sometimes that, uh, that ritual is not horrific and, and damaging. Sometimes the relationships that you make with those entities is not detrimental to your health and your, your, your mental health and physical health, but sometimes it is. And yep. when you strike these deals with entities on the other side, they're looking for looking out for themselves. And so they will create a symbiotic relationship with you initially, but ultimately I think they just become a parasite on you. Yeah. Faustian contract or something. As long as we're talking like that. HBO shows, I just finished watching the I like cartoons, but and there's a the Adventure Time Fiona and Cake spinoff on HBO, and that one goes into this kind of this god that lives in a big golden cube out in the cosmos, Prismo the Wishmaster, and he when people find him, they can make a wish and create a new wish altered reality, and it creates a whole expanding multiverse. He's like a pink guy that lives in a, the walls of a gold cube, like a he's kind of a pink shadow guy. And he what's the, what's the name of the show? Adventure Time. It's it was originally oh a yeah, kid's no, show. yeah I know I know I thought you said it was HBO. I know Adventure Time, sure. Yeah, but they just brought it back for HBO, a new a, like a new spinoff series oh really okay and so prismo created a fanfic that's the actually the backstory of fiona and cake is he prismo was bored the god prismo he created a alternate god gender swapped fan fiction reality of uh finn and jake the dog fiona and cake the cat and he hid it in the ice king's head but the ice king summoned the god gulb it's a long story but anyways he uh he gets prismo they find out the, the other gods above him find out that he created in his own fan fiction alternate universe that he was trying to hide in the head of the Ice King. And so the god auditors come down on him and and uh, basically cosmically arrest him. It's uh, I like all that stuff. It's, it's a good show. It's a good show. Yeah, it seems like like when it comes to what, what I just briefly and probably horribly described with his dark materials... Um, there's something like that. There's something to it that is probably uh, similar to what we are going through in this reality. Um, and then you have you have, you have like a lot of uh, astrologers and metaphysical people that talk about the the archons. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the archons? That's David Ike talks about those. Yeah, um, like the archons are kind of like the rulers i I would call them almost like uh like stationary pillars that enforce a decree over this reality but there is uh on the hierarchical level there is someone some consciousness over them directing the archons the archons then influence our decision making and our lives down here it's almost like uh they are carrier beacons they're they're uh, relay stations for uh, influence over this reality. Um, Turtles all the way tangible. down. Yeah, yeah, it funnels yeah. down. We're on the bottom end of it, and so we just uh, we're just receivers of this kind of stuff. But in this reality, um, there are people that are aware of this. Uh, you know, there are people like us that talk about it, but then there are people with real money that are aware of the reality and can use those resources in order to interface with it. Um, 
And so they'll like as Joe Rogan said in that clip, yeah, they 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 put together a study to use DMT and map it. Well, to what end and what for what purpose? Yeah, you're mapping the DMT realm, but to what end? What are they using that knowledge for ultimately? Uh, is it to benefit mankind? Probably not. <laughs> Someone funded that study, and they're going to keep that knowledge for themselves. Well, Bill Gates and MIT were control. doing the DMT studies twenty years ago, according to Alex Jones. Thirty years ago, fifty years ago. So, and so the- with yeah, so with that knowledge, they have mapped that a long time ago, and so they probably like okay. Maybe it doesn't matter what I do in this reality because we already mapped out DMT. We we understand that uh, everything's recycled, and what we do down here is fairly inconsequential. Why don't we wipe the place out and remake it in our image? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what Bill Gates wants to do is wipe the place out, get the population down, and they will remake it, and then he'll, he'll be reborn into a new body because he knows it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I, I have somebody in the no gender troll room here. John in John M. Adams says, I'm going to see Bert live on Sunday and John, it's not too late. You can still find something fucking better to do with your time. Don't you're do not it, a big John. fan of Bert. <laughs> I just, I don't like Bert at all. I think he's probably the least funny. He's worse than Amy Schumer. Uh, I don't, I, I used to listen to him when he was on, uh, Opie and Anthony quite a bit, and he would tell the same machine story all the time. Uh, I, I found him to be an interesting like person. Like in an interview, he seemed like a, he seems like a good guy. I just don't find him to be a stand-up comedian. He's you know? sh- there's no reason he should be doing comedy. He should go back to the Travel Channel and do that. Would get drunk and have fun in, in Vietnam. Uh, but yeah, I mean Carl from Who Are These Podcasts and I spent two hours shitting all over Bert last show, so. I That's definitely, fun. I'm not a fan of Bert. I, I will, fi- let me finish this uh, clip with Bert and Joe though. Cause this, I don't know why this rubbed me the wrong way. Not really what Bert said, but what Joe said. There's so many religions that talk about the afterlife. I mean, I get that you would want to come up with something like that just because you wanted to have some sort of a reason to keep going with the rational mind. When you're dealing with this existential angst of a temporary existence and one day you're just going to be worm food. What's the point of it all? Why don't I end it now? Yeah. It's too much. Life is to live is to suffer. No, there's something waiting for you when it's over. And this is like, the, that's the carrot at the end of the stick. So a lot of people think, well, I'm too smart for that fucking carrot. Like, no, 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 no. Life is suffering. Life is pointless. And It goes black so, one day. It's like what Bourdain did to himself. There's, there's like this romantic notion that some people have that to end this depressing thinking is like to just do it, just to end your own life is the best way to just get through this. But they don't know. They don't know. Like, you don't know that you just go black. You have no idea. They don't And to know. say that is so foolish. Just to think of the fucking complexity of the universe itself. Just the the vast scope of it. And now with this James Webb telescope, they're starting to, like, look at galaxies that don't even make sense. Like, how is this galaxy so formed and it's so far away? Like, is what the, in the, world is the is universe going on older here? than we think it is? Like, there's all this new speculation now because of new data. To think that you know what happens to you when you die is dumb. It's dumb. Science. You don't. Understand? You right. cannot know. This, I thought this was going to be a panic attack, and now I'm feeling better about myself. Yeah, to be cl- I don't think 
think it ends. <laughs> I don't think it ends either. I just don't think it ever ends. I think the real fear is not that it doesn't end. The real fear is that it never ends. The real, like, imagine if you have to live your life over and, oh, over, and fucking... over and 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 over again, forever. Could you do it? Doesn't that a freak out? That, that, that kind of bothers me. Where Joe's like, "Oh my God, can you imagine if you had to live your own?" But like, I can't imagine having to live my life over and over again. It's like Joe, you have the you have the top one percent of the top one percent of the top one percent of the top one percent best lives that anyone's ever had on planet Earth. <laughs> I, if I anybody it, wants to. <laughs> It would only freak you out if you remembered the the previous incarnations. Oh yeah, you know, like and uh, Groundhog Day, except know. every day is a whole lifetime. Yeah, and it might it, it might be a, it, it may get boring to you, but if you retain the knowledge and your your skill set, then I, I I'm I'm not sure if I have a big deal with it. I say that now, having no no real memories of past lives. But you might get bored and may may ask, hey, can we move on to like a different realm or maybe even just a different planet? Um, it might be frustrating in some instances. And uh, there was a, a, a show on, uh, I think, Netflix called Alter, Altered Carbon. Yeah, Altered Carbon. Yeah, basically, uh, uh, they have your consciousness uh, stored like in a little box and you can just kind of swap it in and out like a USB drive and you get mm -hmm. a new body. And there are people in that show that have uh, their consciousness have basically lived like 600 years. And they are the, the, the top 1% elite that have amassed all this wealth, all this knowledge, and uh, they will uh, do horrific things to people because they believe there's no consequence to the physical body anymore. Yeah. I. That's, and that's kind of what, I mean, it's tangentially connected to what you said, but the, uh, there's, this eerie kind of Alan, and I love Alan Watts, uh, the way he can philosophize and just kind of make his solilo his uh, soliloquies into almost a musical lectures he would do. But he had this uh, in the seventies when LSD was getting real big. He said, "What LSD does is it gives away the game. It's something that people spent fifty years at you know a Tibetan monk temple to learn. Now you can just learn through chemicals in an hour." He says, once that secrets, once because of technology, once that secrets let out of the bag, a lot of people might not go back and start playing the game. And if people realize it's a game, and are they they're going to take advantage of that? And what's going to happen? Essentially, it's kind of an I'm paraphrasing, but it's kind of an ominous thing he was saying. He's like, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I did I did all my acid trips when I was young and wasn't uh, mature enough to appreciate what I could get out of it. Uh, I did it. Uh, I was taking those drugs for for fun, and honestly, because my other friends at the time were were doing it too, and I wasn't using it as some sort of spiritual spiritual journey or some sort of process for enlightenment. I was doing it just to kind of get messed up and have a good time. And there, there, I think there are a number of occasions where Joe, my co-host, and I, we did acid together, and I don't know what we got out of it like spiritually or enlightenment. I don't know, probably nothing, <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing that we could bring back and use to help us, uh, create a, like a better, more enlightened life for ourselves. I mean, we're artists and we managed to carve out a good life, uh, for, for ourselves independently. But, uh, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not gurus walking around telling people how this reality works. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an easy trap to fall into where you're like, I know for sure that this is how it is. Uh, because 
it's kind of like any any uh, extreme experience you have. You have a conviction about it. Like uh, you, you almost get evangelical sometimes, which is something that early on yeah. I I, made, I fell into that trap. I have a clip from this guy. He's a psychiatrist, Jeffrey Mishlove. And uh-huh. uh, this is just a minute from him uh, on the earliest known map of the afterlife. You know, probably the oldest map that we have of the afterlife goes back to the Egyptian book of the dead. This is known as the weighing of the heart. The deceased enters the afterlife, has to pass through the 14 deities that you see at the top of of the picture, and then comes to a place where the heart in a little jar of the deceased is weighed on a scale against a feather, the feather of truth of the goddess Ma'at. And you'll see that the heart in this illustration weighs less than a feather. That means that the deceased is not going to be eaten by that strange creature, which is a combination of four different animals, but will be escorted into the paradise of Osiris by the hawk god Horus. Some of the visual representations of the process of the weighing of the heart against the feather is pretty fascinating. Um, it's, I, it, I guess it focuses on um, to to pass on uh, without just getting eaten up by, I guess, Gaia or getting sucked back into a body to be reincarnated into. To, if your heart doesn't weigh less than a feather, it's basically attachment, I guess. Yeah. And how attached how are you? How attached are you? And if you're still attached, yeah. then you have to go back because you're still, you probably want to go back anyway because you're still attached. Well, that comes to okay. So that's there's a couple different things going on there. Um, one, when you die, and everything I've I've, I've listened to about near death experiences, people can get really attached to their bodies, and during that process of you, uh, now that you're separated from your body, there's a grieving process of, of that life and the people you knew, uh, and at that point you would become if you're if, if that grief is too much and you're too attached to this reality and the life you once lived, that's when you become uh, a ghost. And uh, and then you're condemned. I don't know if you can condemn, but you have chosen to, to be in our realm or as close to this realm as possible. Now, time moves differently over there. Um, even in that, uh, that little clip where uh, I played of that, uh, the guy who is uh, dying from hypothermia, uh, mm-hmm. Peter uh, Panagor, he was given the choice to come back, but he said, uh, that, but the administrator or God said to him, listen, if you missed your loved if you missed your loved ones, all you have to do is wait here on the other side for a little bit and they'll be here to join you because time moves differently in the afterlife than it does down there in the real world or earth, I should say, not the real world, but just on earth. If you just wait a little bit, they'll be here to join you in no time at all. And so for these ghosts roaming around around us right now that are too attached to this reality, well, for them, it's maybe just a few minutes, maybe a few hours. It's not a big deal. Meanwhile, they're haunting your house for years, and it's really annoying to you. <laughs> yeah. To them, it's just a you know an hour or two of annoyance, and then they'll hopefully uh, move on if they get that opportunity. Um, now, when it comes to whether or not you're ready to move on and, or reincarnate, uh, the astrologer that I've talked to, and there are other people out there just saying uh, either 
there's two choices. Go into the light or don't go into the light. The astrologer that I have talked to says, don't go into the light. That's the soul recycling trap. Go into the black void if you can do it. Go into the black void of nothingness. That's where you want to be. And to me, that sounds boring and counterintuitive because, you know, you, you, you think that I want to go into the light. That's what we've been conditioned. And, like, the, the light is warm. You feel love on the afterlife. You get to see loved ones. You want to go there. But, no, the uh, astrologer and some other people are saying, no, go to the void. The light is the trap. Mm. The problem is we don't really know. Okay, so if they mapped out these DMT realms, are they bringing back the knowledge? Should we go into the light or not? That's the critical knowledge that we need to know when we die. Right. Yeah. No, they're they're mapping out all these elf realms. You know, uh, like I don't like. Okay, great. You mapped out the lollipop factory in the elf realm out there, but how <laughs> do we get there? You know. Yeah. Do we go into the light and get recycled, or do we have to go into the void in order to get to the lollipop factory? I Tell me which one. What do we got to do? This is good. I have one more clip from Jeffrey Mishlove. I, uh, this is actually the first setup clip, and this is kind of why he's more concerned about the afterlife now, I guess. This is how he starts the video. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and I have COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh. yeah that's great, isn't it? That's how he starts the video. And by the way, he does the Dr. Steve Brule thing, the John C. Riley, where he the, he keeps turning back and forth between two different cameras and looking back and forth between every sentence he says for this whole 20-minute video. It's very unsettling. Hello Did and you say welcome. That he has COVID just, is he saying that because he wants sympathy? Like he thinks there's some kind of like angle or play, or does he really genuinely have COVID? <laughs> well, I'll keep going here. This is how okay. the video starts. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and I have COVID. I can tell you this if you're concerned. I was just diagnosed a couple of days ago, and I'm already feeling much better. My expectation is that by the time you are watching this video, I'll be completely cured of it. Uh, apparently, there's a surge going on, but I've been double vaccinated and double boosted. <laughs> and uh, Double vaccinated is <laughs> double vaccinated is my new thing. Now. Going on, but I've been double vaccinated and double boosted. And uh, I'm told that the symptoms of uh, all of the people who are getting sick right now because of this surge are relatively mild. I am the point pretty that smart. Yeah. I really think is worth making, though, is that the occasion of catching COVID has been, I would call it a mild spiritual awakening in a sense that it's giving me a new appreciation and maybe a new vision for a topic that's been on my mind many times. And I'm pretty sure I've uh, included it in various ways in previous monologues, mapping the afterlife. Ah, that guy was just too weird for me not to clip. <laughs> no, it's it's good stuff. Uh, you know, so did you have actually the map of the afterlife? I'd be curious. Well, that's 
what happens right after he says that is he goes into the earliest known map of the afterlife, which was the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and he talks about the Tibetan okay. Book of the Dead, and he keeps looking back and forth in between each fuck in between each camera. Oh god, he looks back and forth between each camera, back and forth every single sentence, sometimes mid sentence, and the cameras. I don't need. I I'll just have to put it in the show notes so people can see what I'm talking about. It's very unsettling, very weird. I have some David Icke I want to get through. That's kind of most of what I pulled. Uh, I have a, so before we do David Icke, I have a couple clips for about uh, the Matrix. Ooh, hit me. Uh, so I've been collecting clips uh, regarding a simulated reality that we could live in, uh, a goofy reality. And this, uh, these two clips come from uh, Tom Campbell. He's a, uh, uh, a big muckety buck. He's written, uh, I think, several books um, in re- regards to the simulated reality. So here's just a, a little intro. We're here today with Tom Campbell, author of My Big Toe, a big theory of everything, physicist and consciousness researcher. Okay, so this is about Tom Campbell. This is kind of like his uh, his two minute uh, elevator speech about. Did, did, uh, she, did, did she say author of My Big Toe? My big toe. That's correct. Okay, yes. I thought I was hearing things. Uh, so here's a, just like his pitch. Given that we are in a virtual reality, that means that we, as consciousness, are getting a data stream. A data stream is just information. It's a stream of data. We receive that data stream and we interpret it to be something. We react to that something, and our reaction then, we send back to the computer, who's computing the virtuality, and the computer then implements our reaction as far as the, the uh, avatar goes. Makes the avatar you know, jump or smile or cry or you know, do a somersault or whatever, the, whatever our reaction is, then that reaction gets... Uh, displayed by our avatar. Okay, you know, virtual reality has the player, the consciousness, the body, which is the character that the that the consciousness is playing, the avatar, right, and the computer. Those are all the elements of a virtual reality. So if this is a virtual reality. Then we have a data stream. We are the player. We're consciousness. We make the choices. The body responds to the choices that we make. So if we decide to stand up and run, then that's our choice. And sure enough, our image of our body stands up and runs because we're the choice maker. We're the player in this virtual reality game. We're not the body. That's the avatar. He does have a, I have another clip here on information streams because he mentioned like the information streams that uh, that come and go from the, I guess, the, the head computer and versus our avatars. So I'll, play, I'll play a little bit of this. We'll see. If it gets boring, let me know. The problem is that if we make these judgments and begin to believe that the judgments are correct, that's a problem. Because then these judgments will turn into beliefs. And then we'll start making our judgments based on our beliefs. And when you do that, you've just cut yourself off from a lot of possibilities. Now, that's what most people 
do. They turn their judgments into beliefs and from then on, they don't have to worry about that particular data stream because they either believe that it's a good one and they'll listen to it or they believe that's a bad one and they'll ignore it. Mm. No more wondering about it. It's done. Okay. Life isn't like that. It's not that tidy. What you should do instead is use open-minded skepticism. You should be skeptical of every data source. Even if it's your mother, you should be skeptical of every data source and realize that sometimes a data source can be very helpful and sometimes not. And that in some of those data sources that you may not want to listen to, you may not be getting some very useful information there because you really don't know what's in it. And he just goes on to say, like, uh, basically, uh, this is a virtual reality. Pick and choose your belief system. And uh, he's, he's, like, convinced that uh, we live in a simulation. He calls it virtual reality, but he's absolutely convinced we live in a simulation. Well, even from a Judeo-Christian perspective of a creator, a biblical creator, if God exists in real reality and he created us for, like, his glory— this would be a simulation in God's mind of some sort. That's uh, it's kind of no matter which way you slice it, uh, it is a simulation of in some way. Just certain people don't like that language. But a simulation of what? Because to me, it feels real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what are we simulating here? It's like, a, it's like a, it's a facsimile of something. Um, like what are we simulating here? What's well, a simulator for souls? I guess that that clips. Uh, did you have more on that? Because if not, that leads perfectly into my David Ike stuff. No, that's fine. Let's do some. Let's do some David Ike. All right, this is David Ike. He's talking to Alan Pemberton. From what I can tell, I couldn't find a date on this video. It was on the bit shoot, but it seemed to be in the range, I'd say, of eighties to nineties, based on how young he looks and the uh, the film quality. Are possible, and indeed, uh, there is another far more credible which answers many, if not all, of the so-called basic great mysteries of life, which are largely only great mysteries because to answer them would be fatal both for dogmatic, you will believe this, religion and this kind of materialistic science we're talking about. The way I feel it works, and interestingly, increasingly open-minded scientists uh, feel it works, is that Everything in creation is the same energy, and energy is consciousness, energy consciousness. So we're looking at creation being one gigantic consciousness, one gigantic mind, of which we are all part. So we're like uh, droplets of water in an ocean of consciousness. We're individual to a certain extent, but altogether we make up the whole. And this uh, consciousness is broken up into different levels of evolution. So this, uh, I think I kind of laid out my feelings on this when I called into OBDM a while back and stayed on the phone way too long. But that's my, uh, it's something I'd never would have believed if I hadn't have subjectively just my own experience experienced it, which is not like everybody has different experiences, but that's just something that is just a universal truth in my experience is that everything is ultimately one thing is the simplest way to put it. It's all just one thing. Uh, you have to wrap your head thing. around that though. I, yeah. Cause I, I run into I run into people where it genuinely does feel like I'm talking to an NPC. It does feel like I'm talking to a non-player character. One of those people in a role-playing game, 
uh, like Final Fantasy two, where you try to squeeze as much information as out of you can, out of like out of them as you can, but they just they're programmed with defined answers, and it's like and they stick to it. That's it. They, it's like the guy they don't, on, on Skyrim. It's like you're talking yeah, to him, and all, it, you can only say two different dialogue responses. Yeah, it's annoying. Like you can't have like a deep philosophical conversation with these people or, or present uh, different theories. They just reject it outright. And I, they move on with their lives. I had to stop smoking weed in certain social circles in college because that I would get so high and I would realize that people I am friends with or friends of friends, acquaintances, coworkers, et cetera, certain of them were and this is before the term NPC entered was the you know, vernacular. This was ten years ago or something. At least it hadn't crossed my path, the term calling people NPCs. But I just realized almost in a soul sucking way. When I was stoned, if I was drinking or just sober, I wouldn't notice it at all. But when I was stoned really high, there would be certain people, and I'm thinking of certain ones right now in particular, that I'm like, you are just, I don't think you have a soul. Like, there's nothing going on cognitively. You don't think about anything, really. You're just basically something that just eats, sleeps, and fucks. Yeah. It doesn't do anything more than that. That's what that's what it feels like to me. I like I don't know. I I hate to call somebody soulless. It's a dark way. <laughs> um, but it, it, there's like a lack of like deep personality there, mm-hmm. and I can come across that way like in person. I am a I, I've said this a number of times. I'm a dolt in <laughs> in real life. I'm a real dud in person because uh, I just don't have like a a lot of things to say to people unless I I know I can talk about certain things, but. I can't talk about everything with people. They'll just look at me like I'm goofy. Uh, I, I try to socialize. So that I bet other people think I'm an NPC. But uh, I've run into like a lot of people that, that seem soulless. And uh, like I think a, a 90% of podcasts are hosted by somebody with absolutely no personality whatsoever. Oh, like me. Uh I'll put myself. No, you in you have a personal. At least you engage in these conversations of Shit. of what if and big philosophical questions and and can bullshit with people. I think bullshitting with people is like a hallmark uh, of not being a PC. If you can just can sit around and kind of BS with somebody, um, I I dated. If a I woman can't do that. For, then I I got nothing. On it. I, I guess she was a girl at the time. I dated a girl, uh, and. It didn't last very long because all she did all the time and all her personality was was rewatching all nine seasons of The Office. And mm. it's like, the is there another show you'd like to watch? Nope, always The Office. Which is still better than somebody that watches Friends all the way through one time, but you see my predicament. It's- hey, I watch Friends. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, is that something we should be concerned with? Uh, Maybe. I watch a lot of bad TV yeah. and bad movies. You're still watching The Walking Dead, right? And all the spinoffs? Yeah, don't tell anybody. Unbelievable. <laughs> it is. I, it really is unbelievable. <laughs> Joe, is, like, Joe is dumbfounded every time I tell him that I still watch The, the Walking Dead. He's, hey, that he's first season was great, and then more happened. Absolutely, yeah. more happened was- in the first six episode season of Walking Dead than in the next five seasons combined. It was insane how slow they paced that show after season one. Yeah, but I, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. I got I got some Ike to get to. So this is let, let me just recap what you said. 
So the reason that you don't know if you subscribe to the idea that everything is one and the human race is one collective uh, consciousness is because some people are NPCs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, this is David, This is a little more David Icke on oneness. This is a couple decades later at a public talk. When you're talking about oneness, people think that it's like everyone therefore becomes one clone blob. Like this. I'm oneness. I'm oneness and all, so am I. Oh, yeah. What is oneness? What is this oneness I'm talking about? It is all possibility. That's what it is. It is everything that has, is, or ever will be there to be experienced. So there is no contradiction between being in a point of awareness of the connectedness of everything and at the same time celebrating and expressing your glorious diversity and uniqueness of perception. What you get, ironically, when you, um, when you disconnect from that into that, is you get a situation where um, you do get people who are, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not oneness, neither am I, I'm not oneness. You do get uniformity, because people stop. I like how David Icke's voice he's doing there sounds like you're British. <laughs> he's, yeah, his, his, his natural voice sounds like my fake British accent. <laughs> when he's going, I'm, I'm not oneness. I, I, I'm, I'm not oneness, neither yeah. am I, I'm not oneness. You do get uniformity, because people I'll, start I'll, operating I'll, on the same tiny range of frequencies and therefore they, they start acting and seeing the world the same everyone thinks the same everyone's tuning to the same bloody station that's why we think when we experience uh, the world and understandably it seems like that and the way we decode it that the world is out there that that some it's out there in fact it's just a projection it's all going on in our minds in our heads as we decode reality. As uh, the great uh, Bill Hicks, the American comedian, said, what a great man he was, great man. All matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration. We're all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. And that's the, the, the foundation of the conspiracy. Manipulating our imagination of ourselves. Yeah. Infinite think, love yeah. is the only truth. The existence of an infinite consciousness is the only truth. Everything else is illusion. Everything else is the imagination of that consciousness made manifest and experienced. I like what he said there. The true conspiracy is the manipulation of our collective imagination. Something like that. I mean, those are some, like, topics to really wrap your head around. And it's difficult for me to, to do that. Um, like, we're just of one consciousness. Because we all kind of think differently. And I guess it's separating, like, how you think in your day-to-day, minute-to-minute versus, like, consciousness of like being aware that you are thinking about certain things and how you problem solve. Uh, cause we all problem solve a little bit differently. Um, and the, the way uh, I've it's kind of, it's yeah, go it's ahead. like a, a tree. Let's say like the, the, the human race you could say is a tree, right. Or something that it, it, it grows. <clears throat> uh, there's branches, there's leaves, there's roots, but it's all part of the tree. 
Sure. It's all still the tree. And when a leaf a leaf falls off and, and withers away, I mean, is that still the tree? I don't know. But it's it's still all the tree. In the tree, part of the tree. Yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. But there are certain things on a tree that are more important than other things on a tree. Like one leaf is not as important structure as the trunk or a large branch. Um, well, and so it, I, I, the President of the United analogy, States is more important than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are it's uh and i i like these these philosophical thoughts and in, in putting these ideas out there that we are like one consciousness and there's not that much difference from one person to the to the other person it's just the circumstances in which we will we were born and uh, how we were raised are the the fundamental uh, differences and, and the karmic momentum that, you had before your incarnation and if sure. you believe in that but it's this is not something I would lend any credence to if I hadn't have. And once again, this is just my experience, so I'm not saying that it's the truth necessarily. But in, subjectively, I experienced this in just an undeniable way for myself multiple times. So for so that, you, you think that we are one. We yeah, are one. Everything God is every down to the molecular level. Everything is God, and God is everything. Okay, we're not something, not another number. We're one, two. We're not, or maybe, <laughs> maybe four. We're not four. Well, that's the thing: is one can't exist without two. That's that a Mitch true. Hedberg joke. Is like two and he's talking about two and one shampoo and conditioner. Two and one's a bullshit term. One's not big enough to hold two. That's why two was invented. Two, two. That is right. I, uh, I'll just plow through a little more David Ike because I think I'm leading up to a good way to wrap the show here. And one of the things that, that because of the programming that, that we do is when we talk about life after death or heaven, we look... Sorry, this is back to the old old interview where David Icke looks like a young, crisp young man. And oh. one of the things that, that because like of the programming that, that we do is when we talk about life after death or heaven, we look up, don't we? You know? I think heaven must be at 30,000 feet or something. You know? And on the level of uh, our consciousness, the thinking, feeling us, this series of energy fields that animates and works through the physical form, the genetic spacesuit, as I call it, which we use to experience this physical world, um, we are tuned at that level at any point in our evolution to one of creation's infinite number of wavelengths. At the moment, we're all tuned to this one, so this is our reality. But at the moment we call death, the consciousness withdraws from the physical form and moves on to another wavelength and continues its evolution. And from this perspective, so many great mysteries cease to be so. I mean, uh, from the perspective of this world is all there is science, near-death experiences can't happen. Or if they are, there's there's some weird manifestation of a dying brain to hear some some, uh, uh, scientist talk. This is being taken increasingly seriously, though, isn't it? It is, um, I, and it, so it should, um, because um, I was saw an item on the news that was saying that um, because resuscitation equipment in the uh, uh, crash areas of the, the hospitals, you know, the resuscitation areas, has improved so much, more people are being brought back from clinical death, and more people are therefore telling near-death experiences with remarkable, amazing similarity in their stories. And all that's happening when they say, um, in the period that I was, quote, dead, um, I was looking down on my physical body and I was seeing the doctors and nurses working on it, um, that's just the consciousness, the thinking, feeling us, the eternal part of us, um, withdrawing from the physical shell. Uh, That's all that happens on what we call death. There is no death, um, just a moving on. So... In the beginning of that clip, David Icke 
describes the human body as a genetic spacesuit. Yeah, kind of like that alien in Roswell. Yes, yeah, similar. And uh, I have a clip, one of my, uh, probably the, one of my top five favorite podcast episodes of any show ever recorded was the Alex Jones Returns. And this is a little rant from him on genetic spacesuits. And the truth is, no energy is ever destroyed. It all continues on. The truth is, our bodies, this is a fact, are a communal hive organism of all of our ancestors and all of their race memories were destroyed. It all continues on with all these dimensions above available. So evil's allowed to come and contend. Wow, apparently I fucked that clip up. Hang on a second. Why? It seemed like it was uh, skipping around a little bit. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Not just good. It's people... Let me let me see if I uh, exported the wrong file. To interface Let's try in this incredibly it. diverse universe with all these dimensions above and below and all around us with consciousnesses. And the truth is, no energy is ever destroyed. It all continues on. The truth is, our bodies, this is a fact, are a communal hive organism of all of our ancestors and all of their race memories, but not in just some compressed epigenetic system it's beyond that it's an electrochemical antenna they've proven this that connects to higher and lower dimensions so our body suit because our 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 predecessors wouldn't put us in position without giving us a body suit that is them our families are loving us they're holding us they're wrapped all around us their strength their will they're bad they're good their sins the good things they did the battles they won the battles they lost the woman they loved the the man they loved it's all in us all these people, it's why we're able to look into so many things and have so many different experiences. Now, I love all of that, but yeah. I take a little bit of issue with Alex Jones saying this has all been scientifically proven. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know if that's true, yeah. but there are, uh, like, if, if to go back to the beginning of the episode, if there are memories that are held within a particular organ, and your organ is, you know, part of uh, some donation process, and uh, and that new person receives it and it has different thoughts and feelings and memories from the organ who uh, that was put in your body. It's also been speculated that DNA also contains ancestral memories that will filter down throughout the generations. And sometimes there's generational trauma built into the DNA that needs to be dealt with, needs to be acknowledged in order to move on from those generational ancestral traumas. Uh, and if well, they, you believe in like this past, with animals, yeah, if you believe animals. in like past life experiences, uh, and my, my wealth, my wife has dealt with some past life kind of experiences and regressions and, uh, like some of her current like fears, like around, uh, like water, not, she doesn't have like a phobia, but she has some apprehension around water uh, may relate back to a past life in which she was drowned or something mm -hmm. like that. She had some sort of trauma around water, and that could explain some hesitation around water today. So that it persists, not just at a DNA level, but like at a soul spiritual level, past life kind of thing. Right, and I, I do like the idea that the genetic memory transferred down shouldn't count in that context the genetic memory transferred down from uh your ancestors it, it's almost like they're still alive through you and they experience yeah. you and you pass that on theoretically uh and it's it, it's it's all just branches of the same 
the same tree. So if that one branch breaks off and somebody doesn't have kids, they're still part of that tree. It's just the genetic memory ends there and they're back into the whole, this is all total speculation, but it does make sense that if this is the case somehow that our human body is a genetic bodysuit provided by our ancestors. Um, it makes sense why since the beginning of time and up to current era with the Royal family and stuff, why uh, preserving the bloodline is so, so important. Yeah. So important to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and the trans, yeah. And why, uh, transfer of wealth to children and all that is so important for the elite because they might have some kind of knowledge that you incarnate as your children and they want to set their themselves up technically for the a good life ahead and, and why, yeah, purify the uh, purity of the bloodline. It would, it, that all tracks with this I, idea. I mean, I believe in the afterlife. I believe in like paranormal experiences the in like ghosts and I'm, I'm hoping for some sort of like inspiration from beyond, like uh, my good friend Spanky, who hosted the podcast with me for years, died uh, recently, two years ago. He was a phenomenal musician, phenomenal lyricist and songwriter. I love his music, and, and yeah, he's just he was a, a brilliant artist and just a, a lovely person. And I miss him dearly. I think about him every day, and uh, I'm in the process of writing like an uh, an EP for myself and uh, I'm hoping that he will beam in some lyrical and musical inspiration for me in order to complete it. Cause I have all the music is done. That's awesome I just idea. don't, I, I don't have like the lyrics and mm-hmm. I certainly don't have his voice and melody to create the songs that I intended to write for him. Like I intended to hand over all this music to him to do all the lyrics and all the, all the vocals. Yeah. But he's not, he's not here to help me. He's not here physically, so I gotta hope that he'll shoot some inspiration into my head here soon. I think it's possible, man. I wouldn't discount the uh, possibility of that at all. Yeah, I uh, never got to meet Spanky, but dude, everything I've seen him on in those old episodes with him, like he just seems like the coolest guy. Fuck, I'm gonna get. He was just one of those guys. He definitely wasn't an NPC. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure, he wasn't. Uh. Okay, so I have this clip uh, just continuing off the genetic spacesuits thing Alex Jones said. I just called this clip David Icke ends racism. The body, I call it, I call it a genetic spacesuit. And it's kind of funny. You know, if you were, if you were on the moon with someone and, 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 and uh, uh, an astronaut started thinking he was his spacesuit, I mean, crikey, can you imagine? Hey, Houston, Houston, we've got a problem. Bill thinks he's his spacesuit. He's bloody mad because he's like his spacesuit. Yeah, but we think we're our spacesuit. And what would there be in that situation on the moon? There would be chaos. Well, that's why there's chaos here because we believe we're our spacesuit. That's what makes racism so insane. It's like saying, oh, I'm better than you because my spacesuit's different color. Bloody ridiculous. There you go. Problem solved. Easy. I mean, I, I like the analogy there. I like I like where he was going with that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it is goofy. Racism is goofy. It's stupid. I have uh, one more Ike clip. It's three minutes though, so just anytime you want, just yell pause it, and we'll pause it because it's leading into something that uh, I want to wrap the show with, which is Stephen Greer, because this oh. this kind of ties into it. And I know I know you like well. I, well, let's come back to Stephen Greer. Let me just get And we're a bit like a, a Dodgem car in a fairground. I don't know what that is. A Dodgem car? And, oh, it's a, it's a, 
Uh, dodging car in the fairground. So you you ever, you ever play like a uh, crash derby, getting one of those like a, electric little carts, and you start bump bumper cars? Oh yeah, yeah, bumper cars. I think okay. I think that's what you're saying. I think it's bumper cars. Oh, okay. He's, I'm I'm starting to be convinced from the, some of these clips that you created the character David Ike. I went, yeah. I I'm I'm starting to hear myself in them quite a bit. <laughs> and we're a bit like a, a dodgem car in a fairground. You know, you got the dodgem car. It's going round. It's doing everything. Lots of energy. And then once the power is switched off, it's hey, my car's gone dead. Yes, because its energy source is gone, and that's what we call death. Not death at all. Yeah. It's the movement of consciousness out of this reality. That's all. What we call near-death experiences have enormous amounts of common stories about what they experienced when they left the body and then were returned when their body was revived. Stories that support massively what I'm uh, saying here today about the fact that we are consciousness and the body's just a vehicle. They talk about going through the tunnel um, into another reality and how uh, limitation disappears, how the emotional uh, intensity disappears, because a lot of that emotional intensity, if not all of it, is body consciousness. This is what one near-death experiencer said about what he experienced when he left the body. Everything from the beginning, my birth, my ancestors, my children, my wife, everything comes together simultaneously. I saw everything about me and about everyone who was around me. I saw everything they were thinking now, what they thought then, what was happening before, what was happening now. There is no time, there is no sequence of events, no such thing as limitation, of distance, of period, of time, of place. I could be anywhere I wanted to be simultaneously. That is who we are. And we need to remember it so we can sort this place out. Smattering of applause. What do you mean there's no time? That's stupid. All right. So, uh, manufactured time is on my wrist. If If I cross a certain invisible point in the world, I enter yesterday or tomorrow. Ridiculous. It's a decoding illusion, time and sequence. As William Blake said, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Everything is everything else happening at the same time. It's a decoding process. If you are um, if you're watching a, 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 a film, movie, on uh, a, a DVD a on the telly, a film movie. DVD. Where you are in the movie, huh. you think is the present. The scenes in the movie you've just left or watched is your past, and the scenes you've not seen yet are your future. But all of them still exist in the same moment that you're experiencing what you perceive to be the present. And if you run back, bingo. You're in the past, you run forward, you're in the future. No, you're in the same now. Everybody knows that that, I mean. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, So I want to play a little Stephen Greer because that, just to summarize what David Icke said there, everything is everything happening all at once at the same time. Mm. And uh, there is a lot of that, 
correlation for whether it's ego death or near death experiences, uh, any anything like that, the life flash before your eyes type things where people do experience like that guy you said where he he experienced being everyone on earth or at least being able to observe everyone on earth at once. Yeah, uh, he, he had the the impression that he could uh, he was observing observing everyone's all eight billion of us all of mm-hmm. our lives at one time. Yeah, and my experience was I could go in at will and become any person, and then zoom back out and be observe everything like at will. Wow. Uh, now that only happened. I think that's one of those. <laughs> I think the only way I could ever get back to that place is if I literally died. Jesus fucking Christ! So what? I'm just so trying to get this over so I can get, stop being you're shocked. Getting, you're getting buzzed every time you say what? Like, like. But there's a delay on it. Okay. Uh, how how long is that delay? And every time I say it, thank God Gix did this, there's a... See, now I don't think that counted because every time I get shocked, there's a 10-second grace period before it starts listening to me again. Okay, so you, if you like, you say like five times in a row, you only get shocked once. Right. Like you go like, 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 like. Yeah, because I have 10 seconds before it... Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so... Yeah, David Ike. Uh, is and I'm in generally in agreement with his take here. Is that if you put an L in front of Ike, what does it spell? Ah. David like, <laughs> right? When I had him on, say it, <laughs> David like. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just got. I don't know if that was in the window of the ten seconds. Anyway, doesn't matter. I I had uh, when I had David Ike on. Uh, Mad Chuck made some great art of old school campaign signs and and cars and it said, they all said i like ike <laughs> oh yeah i like ike yeah. you know david ike he He's, looks a little bit like gary Busey, doesn't he like gary Busey's grandma maybe yeah okay like an old drunken <laughs> aunt yeah like yeah <laughs> david ike is like a drunk aunt of gary Busey. <laughs> uh okay so this is uh stephen greer kind of tying into loosely tying into what david ike was just talking about going to do is help you remember who you really are and give you some techniques that facilitate the sharpening of that ability. You can begin to practice that on a nightly basis and as you do it you will be stunned at how accurate you will become in getting that information. You understand? Rithambara Pragya, the level where all things can be known. Everything can be known, past, present, future. What you have just heard, I would say a handful of people on Earth know, even in classified projects, is highly compartmented. So, Steve, this is a video. You understand? <laughs> uh, you understand? This is a video. You understand me? Everybody knows that that, any, I mean. <laughs> this is a video. You understand this better than anybody does. Stephen Greer. And it's called something really stupid, like classified. I'm even scared to share this information with you. Uh, fuck. And and it says, uh, "Holy shit!" It says, uh, "Well, Stephen Greer is basically just g- giving a basic gestalt, to borrow the term from Alex Jones, of how you can remote view throughout time and space, and theoretically talk to dead loved ones and all kinds of things." Uh, so I'll play another minute of this and just uh, see if you can follow along because we're going we're to try an exercise here at the end of the show. That's really all I can do. The rest you're doing yourself. 
But I'm, this one I'm sharing right now is key to understanding the psychological and even physical dynamics of consciousness and non-locality and how it can be manifested. The ability to be a seer of a remote place or a remote time into the future. They're all easily accomplished if you understand the science and the fundamental knowledge of consciousness. It's nature. You can see any place. You can see any point in time. You need to understand that this is your innate capability as a higher intelligent life form. Once you reach a critical mass of intelligence and consciousness, you can understand this and routinely see remote places and see distant times. That's how I think you should begin to think of how your life can be guided and your relationships at work and family can be guided. Very intuitive. Those of you who are critical, remember that there's science and there's objective knowledge and intellect and then there's the consciousness that can sense and feel and know. And if you develop this ability, you will save lives. And in your normal everyday work, whoever you are, I mean, if you're a teacher and you're dealing with a student, intuiting what that person needs and what you need to teach, are you following this? <laughs> you following this? To teach, are you following this? Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> okay, so... I, this is now. Now Stephen Greer is going to tell you exactly how to remote view, and then we're going to try it. Okay. Following this, be with me for a moment. What I would like to do now is just do an experiment, taking you through these steps, and you can do Let's this at do home. It. If you're in a group of three or four people, you know, get a box or a basket, and one person goes out of the room and puts any object in it. Now I have a box with me that has one thing in it. I got a box with a ton of things in it. <laughs> what? Uh. Cigarettes <laughs> and lottery tickets yeah. and chewing tobacco. It's a big box. Uh. Yo, I'm going to score me a bag of Doritos. Uh, okay, yeah, but I do. I actually do have a box with something that you can guess what it is after this. And the others have no idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you say? No, I'm saying so, so you... You are the, the person that everyone who listens here, we have to remote view to guess what you put in what's the box. In the box. Yeah, what's in the box? Yeah, What's in the box? What's in the bowl, bitch? Now, here are the steps to it. Step one, if you're going to not just do it on the fly instantly, you go into this quiet state of meditation and forget about targeting what you're remote viewing. Just stick with the process of experiencing the awake mind and do the meditation technique using the, either the breathing technique or the mantra or both, or whatever fires your rocket. And when you're in a deep, quiet state, instead of guessing what is in the box, just let your mind rest on it and ask to know what it is. You might see it. You might get the word for it. You may get an aspect of it. The key thing is to not intellectualize it or have start just guessing like some kind of parlor trick or kindergarten game and that's what most people do so you have to kind of be brutally honest with yourself am i sensing this or i'm just guessing now initially you may not know because your mind may start pulling in all sorts of things you will begin to get something that is an accurate objectively true remote view data point and then the mind will start doing 
the monkey mind thing and leapfrog ahead of the process of just sensing and knowing what it is and filling in the blanks from your memory store. How do you distinguish and discern the difference? Practice, practice. Because the more you practice it, the more you're going to realize when you're doing that and when you're not. And I will say this, if you do this often enough, this technique I just described with a box or something else where you don't know what it is, you'll begin to know what it feels like in your heart, in your gut, when it's an accurate perception. All right. Now, I'm holding the box in my lap. So you have to quiet your mind and feel in your heart, I guess. And just don't try to guess what it is. Just let it come to you and ask for guidance of what is in the box that I'm currently holding. And people in the chat room can play along, too. Okay. Let's everybody just take a moment. We'll get some nice meditative, quiet Thank you. music and uh, see what happens here. I'll just keep holding this box. Give me information. What is in the box? I must know. What is in the box? No, I see a box. In the box, there's four sides of the box, and then there's the base of the box, but there's something in the box. And I want to know what's in the box. I don't know if I'm guessing. I don't know. All right. But I'm going to say it's a notebook. Wrong. Incorrect. Let's try. Let's do one more. One more guess. One more. Or not guess. You have to know in your heart. Give me the music. Okay. I can't relax without the music. (laughs) I see the box. Now, I see the box is on your lap. And there's here a dog in the back. And I don't know. Here Okay. <laughs> that was me. Dog turn that off. Try that again. I see the box. And the box is four sides. And the box is on your lap. And I want to say there's something sticking through the bottom of the box. Something firm. Something turgid. Something used for pleasure. Hmm, I don't want to say it because it's very crass and this is a family-friendly show, but you can see where I'm going. But I have a guess. I do have a guess. Right, I mean, I, I have an intuition. That is this not, like Greer, Greer would not like me saying guess. I yeah. have. He would. He'd, he'd whip me to, to say that. I have. I, I think it's a, a deck of cards. Okay. Once again, no. You know what it is? Fuck. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. It's uh. All it is is just a big pile of bubble wrap. It's Board just chip. bubble wrap. It's all bubble wrap. That's the only thing. Board chip. Let me just check this, under the bubble wrap and make sure I'm not wrong. Because if there's a deck of cards, you, <laughs> make sure you don't have a or your dick in the box. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all bubble wrap. Okay. 
No, I need to uh, practice my uh, remote viewing. No doubt gotta, about that. You got to open your All heart. Right. Lo- open your heart a little more. Also, I think to be fair to you and everyone who guessed in the chat, uh, which I don't even know if anybody did. Yeah, but I like these experiments, though. I do. I think you're supposed to be looking at the box in person for starters. I think remote viewing, just based on the sound of my voice, a box I'm holding in a place you don't even know where it is, is probably a lot harder than just focusing on a box that I'm standing holding in the same room as you. I would have to imagine. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I, th- I thought the David, or uh, not David Greer, but uh, Dr. Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer was going to tell people, like, at home, you can meditate and, like, do this on your own. This requires some participation from friends that uh, in order to practice remote viewing. But Yeah, because um, how else are you going to... I do like it. Yeah. How are you going to practice by yourself? Yeah, it's... Getting- uh, Getting pictures of uh, lottery tickets, cigarettes, and honey buns in the uh, notion of social notifications here. <laughs> I uh, I like these things, and I think we, as like a podcast community, we should do more remote viewing exercises like this. I I think I'd, I'd like to g- get better at this. I know uh, Cruising with Steak, another podcast that uh, I'm friendly with, they they do these remote viewing exercises. At least they did uh, a few years ago. Um, and so it'd be kind of cool if we have like a large enough sample group. Uh, to get really good at remote viewing. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, maybe we can, uh, or if you guys can set up, uh, if Joe doesn't nuke it immediately, you guys can set up a remote viewing thread in the OBDM Discord and we can start practicing. <laughs> Joe has no control. Yeah. <laughs> I will ask uh, the admins. Even I don't have full control over there. But yeah, we should uh, we should come up with some sort of of like consistent remote viewing kind of, uh, kind of gamify occasion. it. Yeah. Yeah, kind of fun. I, I, I honestly, I don't know how to do remote viewing. If it's as easy as what uh, Doctor Greer is saying, then I'm, I'm on my way. But it, there's probably some more, more tricks to it, like like uh, getting into a more meditative state, using certain tones, or you probably would have uh, gotten mantras. it if I didn't start playing all the dogs barking and gunshots I, and everything. Well, that that actually helped me. I think uh, <laughs> other people. Other people might hurt. For me, I enjoyed that ambience. It reminded me of living in the city again. <laughs> uh, well, Mike, uh, thanks a bunch for coming on and hanging. It's always a blast. And, uh, of course, OBDM live every Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, and Saturday morning, or Saturday at noon on the No Gen yeah, Stream, Twitch, and uh, Rumble, if Rumble works. Yeah, that's where we're at. It's, it is my favorite podcast. It's uh, I think early on you told me that because I, I, I guess I discovered it about a year into doing my show, and uh, I think early on you told me he's like, "Yeah, people that do podcasts tend to like it more than people that don't do podcasts." But I just know that's I, correct. Yeah. It's, it's it is uh, the show you run over there is incredible, and the formula works, and you just you got a real good show. And I hope uh, hope you never stop doing it because it's definitely something I look forward to twice a week more than any other show. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun to do. It's a lot of work, but it's fun to do. My neck muscles are sore from. I'm taking this off because it yeah, shows over. Dude, my, give, it, give yourself a break. It when I when it hit when it volts me, my neck muscles tense up because it's a pretty strong volt. It it just like how do you have a counter? Like how many times? I must have gotten at least shocked at least twenty five times. That yeah, I would say so. Like on the script, I wonder if we can put a counter on there so we can we can know like hey, I, I got fifty sh- I got fifty shocks this episode. I bet geeks could probably throw that in there really easily i'll have to yeah we could we could put a counter on it because you probably have to run it on the terminal right you have to like run the script yeah I'm a, it's on my other laptop so that because yeah, if so, we, i was running on this one it would be 
shocking me for every time anybody said like, including in a clip. And I know that's yeah. So he can put a counter on that, or give me if he doesn't have time, I can put a counter on it, spit it up to the screen, so we have a running count. And then we yeah. could use that for like you. Then you could use that for donations, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I did. Uh, well, I I think the first time I was over a hundred, the first time I had the collar on, and now I, I'm at least I'm at least getting better. But also, I didn't wear it for the last two shows, so I don't know. I wanted probably after I I need to pick a word that's not so versatile. Because a lot of the times I was getting shocked, I would say I it, it, I would just using it in the case of as in an actual comparison. Yeah, or or I was using it as uh, I yeah I enjoy that. I would say like as in I like this, I enjoy this. That I know I got shocked a couple times for that. So mm-hmm. I need to pick a maybe like better this. word. Yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah. Thanks, Mike. And oh, uh, real quick, Sir Canadian did come in with a donation during the show. This guy. Is great. He's single handedly keeping abs in a six pack alive Yay. with a twenty a twenty dollar donation. So thank you. Wow. Yeah, donated last show too, and uh, I did some have some people streaming in sats for uh, for music, but it's it's all micro micro donations, micro donations. And uh, I'll uh, oh no, I'm sorry, I take that back. We did have some boostograms come in. Uh, from Haggard Hammer, I think first time donor, uh, coming in with twenty two thousand and one sat. Uh, no note that I can see boosting from Fountain, and then uh, Blueberry boosting Bill Hicks, giving Bill Hicks some karma for seventeen thousand four hundred and twenty sats. And then there's Whoa. a bunch bunch coming through back before that for uh, music boosts. I think from Whoa. the music I put up. So. Is that you or a sound drop? <laughs> That's me. Wow! Absolutely incredible. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Mike. And uh, it's I, I I don't know if we came to any conclusions, but I at least had fun. I, we we have no conclusions on the nature of this reality, other than I think what is being presented to us by most mainstream authorities is absolute garbage, and that mm. the yes. there is a spirit realm, there is an afterlife, there could be a matrix. There could be some sort of quantum multiverse, and the best we can do is try to live the best life that we can here. Try to be kind, be excellent to one another, as Bill and Ted would would, would say, and uh, try to have some fun and make merry. And you know, that's about it. The number one rule of the universe is don't be boring. The number two universe or rule of the universe is uh, be nice. Those might be, be interchangeable. excellent to each other. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm going to close out with a little segment I like to call Podcast Recapitation. It's time for Podcast Recapitation. Just a little clip from uh, when I interviewed David Icke. I guess it was, God, two years ago almost now. I don't know how long ago. It was. Episode 65. And... Uh, I'm just going to shut down the stream after this clip in. So have a good night, Mike. All right. And uh, All right, bye. thank you very much. OBDMPod.com, people. Wondering if you've ever experimented with psychedelics, because I know these altered states of consciousness and higher dimensions, in my opinion, can definitely definitely be a- accessed by psychedelics. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Um, I did it uh, one time in 2003 in the Brazilian rainforest. Um, I did it twice. I did uh, something called ayahuasca. Um, oh, wow. And um, I had an amazing experience on the first night over two hours. 
um, an increased dose the next night and had the experience of a lifetime because over five hours, uh, it takes about an hour to, to kick in. So you go into an altered state. And the thing is that when you open your eyes, the world looks exactly the same. But but your eyes don't want to stay open. They want to close when you, you've taken this stuff. And when you close your eyes, you're in a completely different reality. And what happened was um, a voice started talking to me. After this started to kick in, it was a female voice. It was very powerful, and it was very, very funny. I mean, you know, wherever it's coming from, I want to go there because it's, it's, <laughs> it's a hoot. It was really funny. Um, and the opening line when the voice started speaking to me was, there's really only one thing you need to know. Infinite love is the only truth everything else is illusion and it repeated it um, about three times or so and in the next five hours this voice um, explained to me the illusory nature of reality how what we see is not what's really there Um, we are decoding information into the form we think we're experiencing as the world um, but the, 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 the world is not like it appears to be. And it went into great uh, detail. And the amazing thing was that um, I had instant recall of it um, afterwards. Uh, and I t- like I say, it was funny. I mean, the, the, the hardest thing was the pain in my belly from laughing. Um, as it was, <laughs> it, was, it was basically making fun of how we perceive reality compared with how it really is. I remember, I remember, I remember lying there in the, in the dark. It was in a big roundhouse in the middle of the rainforest. And, and as I, as I looked up the, the sun, it must, uh, the, the moon, it must've been close to a full moon. It was, it was big. The, the, the moon came up and I looked at it and, and, and the voice just said, illusion. It's all an illusion. The moon's an illusion and the moon is an illusion because it's a it's an information field and the way it appears is the way we decode that information field just like a computer decodes wi-fi phenomenal and and, and like i say there's not a word that i was told that night that hasn't been supported by the evidence since what happens to us after we die what um i didn't say anything what are they gonna do to me what what are they gonna do i'm not allowed to talk to you Anyone or anything that winds up in the tree becomes part of the tree forever and ever. In the tree, part of the tree. So, does that mean I'm a prisoner forever? Well, yes and no. Are you a prisoner? Yes. Will you ever be free? No. In the tree, part of the tree. It's very simple. Doesn't that mean you can't leave the tree either? No, I, well, yes and no. Am I allowed to leave the tree? No. Have I already left the tree? Am I miles away from the tree right now, flying around like the flying squirrel that I am? Yes. In my mind. In my mind. All episodes of Abs and Six Pack are now available at shitmyass.com. Tell your normie siblings. Tell your idiot parents. Tell your dumbass friends. Tell your moron neighbor. 
Tell your grandparents before they die. They can maybe spread it around to some of their senile old fuck friends. Tell your mom and dad about ShipMyAss.com. Tell your creepy uncle about ShipMyAss.com. Tell your Uber driver about ShipMyAss.com. Tell the guy that delivers your terrible pizza about ShipMyAss.com. Tell your deadbeat cousins about ShipMyAss.com. Tell every homeless guy you meet on the street. Call your congressman. Call your governor. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Call the Sandy Hook parents. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Get ShipMyAss.com yard signs. Put them all around your whole neighborhood, but rig them with explosives so that they blow up after 24 hours and no one knows they were there. Just start going through the phone book. Call random numbers. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Say, hey, there's new episodes up at ShipMyAss.com. Go to the mall. Look for the person that looks the most retarded. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Then go to another mall. Look for the most smartest guy with the most smarty pants, glasses, and good hair. Tell him about ShipMyAss.com. Tell him to spread the news. Start riding the bus all around your house all day and tell every person that gets on the bus about ShipMyAss.com. Start committing misdemeanors or possibly felonies so that you keep getting, you become a repeat offender in the prison system. Tell the prisoners, tell your cellmate about ShipMyAss.com. Tell the prison guards about ShipMyAss.com. Tell the cop. Tell them I sent you. They'll give you a 10% off discount code for, uh, uh, start calling up customer service people. Tell them about ShipMyAss.com. 10 bonus points for Indian guys. Go to the park, kidnap somebody's dog, then when they come to get it back from you, tell them about ShipMyAss.com. Say, hey, your dog would love this podcast. I'm doing you a favor. Pick up skateboarding as a hobby. Even if you're terrible and bust your knee or bust your head open, you can tell all the skating guys, hey, have you been to ShipMyAss.com yet? There's some good podcasts there. Or just lie to them. Tell them it's, it's gutter punk, skate tween, shit cringe music, whatever the fuck those idiots listen to. Tell them, hey, you can get the good skating music at shipmyass.com. Make sure you don't wear a helmet. Run for mayor. Run for mayor of your city or county. And then you can, when you get elected, you can tell everybody about shipmyass.com and mandate that it be on every billboard and every street sign and every fucking bench. And uh, get, yeah, that's just how you help the podcast out. So I don't think it's asking too much. This is who we are. This is what we think we are. We think we're the body that we see in the mirror. Humans are a software program. It's like playing on the computer a certain piece of software. We call it genetic inheritance and all that stuff. And from that we get what we call personality. We get all the other genetic traits and we think they're who we are. It's a software program. Cultures, this different cultures, they're software programs. Nothing wrong with them. Love them, experience them. Illusions only control you when you think they're real. When you, th- when you know they're illusions, play with them, have a laugh. But they're, they're software programs. We're not human. That's our experience. It's not who we are. Even my body's the same. <laughs> Even mine. Lost a bit of weight, you know. Been off the booze for three months, that's why. Um, That's just the consciousness, the thinking, feeling us, the eternal part of us, um, withdrawing from the physical shell. Uh, That's all that happens on what we call death. There is no death, um, just a moving on. And uh, from my perspective, um, you know, our consciousness incarnates into endless life situations. So you see an evolution going on? Oh, I do. I think we're on a journey of evolution through experience. I mean, you don't just evolve. I mean, if I sat in this chair forever, I wouldn't evolve. I have to experience. I have to uh, 
learn from my experience and as I do I evolve um, and that's what we're doing all the time and often it's uh, some of the most negative experiences which at the time and I've had a few uh, which seem terrible um, you look back and you say to yourself you know that was horrible but I wouldn't change it because of what it gave me um, so we're, we're kind of on this journey of experience but you know the bottom line is that tomorrow is the first day of the rest of our eternity that's the worst worst thing that can happen is that we leave this physical shell um, and, and, you know, from that perspective, um, far from being worthless, we are unique and um, uh, vital droplets in this ocean of consciousness we call God or creation. This God, as we, as we call it, he's not some guy with a beard sitting on a throne saying, you have sinned and you shall be punished, or some, somebody out there. It's actually within us, it's around us, it is everything, it is the consciousness that is, that is expressing itself in all the variety of forms that we see. Uh, obviously we are at a different level of consciousness to a wall, but it's still, the wall is still God at a different level of uh, consciousness, it's still the same whole. Let me just ask you what may seem to be a rather silly question. How do you think that people will react to scientific evidence of proof of life after death? How is it going to affect people's thinking? Well, it depends, really. Um, if you're kind of open, open-minded, uh, it, it should be a, 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 a something of great joy, great comfort. A great comfort. I mean, we don't die. I mean, what a great, what a great, what a great starting point. But I feel that um, it, some people will go through some emotional trauma. Those who have um, pinned their self-security to a rigid belief system, be it a Bible, be it a, uh, be it a religion, be it whatever, um, their whole sense of security uh, will, will, be, will disintegrate. And I think that uh, that will be a traumatic time for them emotionally. But when that period is over, um, they will see the, uh, the wonderful joyous reality of it, which is that um, the uh, divisions between us and the hostility between us that has been engineered and encouraged for controlling reasons, divide and rule, is actually um, uh, not a natural part of creation at all, and that harmony is the natural part of creation, and that we're all part of each other, and, and um, we all live forever, and we're all on an endless journey of evolution. Some people are ahead of some others at some point, and at some point in the future, the revolt ro roles will be reversed. We're just on an endless journey of evolution through experience, and uh, life's much easier than it is, uh, and much more wonderful than it is portrayed. So, David, from you, a very optimistic message with regard to uh, life after death. For all those people that will be watching this program that have lost, lost people, loved ones, they can be fairly sure that there will be a reunion. For sure. I mean, one of the common themes of near-death experiences um, is as people have, have left the physical form, consciousness have left the physical form, they have been reunited with people they've known before. Um, you know, they're all around us. What happens to us after we die? I think we all agree the human must be stopped. Whoa! Uh -huh. oh, yeah, Squirrel, oh, yeah. wait, wait. what happened with the apple? Well, I made sure he ate that apple like you guys told me to do, but get this, it made him smaller. I think it might have been cursed, you guys. Well, of course it was cursed. We're trying to stop the human. <sighs> Look. Just do me a kindness and go get me some more nut milk.
Come on, fellas, I feel like I'm the only one coming up with ideas here. Lenny, how do you think we should stop the human? Um, maybe a trapdoor? Something like that? With gravity? Hey, yeah, we could put like a rug over it. <gasps> My disc! Oh. Um, it's okay. I'm a chipmunk. In the tree, part of the tree. In the tree, part of the tree. Sorry. Part of the tree. In the tree, part of the tree. In the tree, part of the tree. Yeah. Oh God. Well, dummies, you just wasted another amount of your non-precious time listening to abs in a six-pack. When are you gonna stop? You know, there's very few of you. If, you, if this is like a hands-on-a-hard-body thing of trying to figure out who'll be the last person to actually listen to this show, it's a lose-lose proposition. By the way, he asked me to do this. The head moron who makes the show. <laughs> ha! The secret is, I think he's the biggest moron of all. It would indicate... That you're bigger moron for listening to his show. However, I think somehow that's not true. He actually is a bigger moron than the rest of you. Anyway, go outside. Read a book. Ride a bike. Take a walk. Go walk a dog. Go kiss somebody. Whatever there is, I can think of one million things to do better than listen to this dumb, crummy show. Abs and a six-pack. Well, I bet for most of you, you're half right. <laughs> this is Master Shake. Do something with your lives. <laughs>